Welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. You're listening on EWTN Radio or St. Gabriel Radio. Beyond Damascus is carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Dan Dimite and I'm joined here in studio with my good friends and brothers in Christ, Aaron Richards. And Again. Brad Puro. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, this is going to be an amazing day today. We are celebrating um, the victory of uh, the, the the Supreme Court decision of Roe v. Wade being overturned. So let's mm-hmm. give Jesus Christ some glory. Thank you, Lord, for that. And we're going to have an incredible testimony mm-hmm. from someone who was uh, pro-life, but also struggling as an atheist, mm-hmm. and uh, hear her story of how um, being pro-life kind of also helped to bring her into a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is pretty doggone amazing. So it's going to be an incredible show. Uh, Brad, can you open us up in prayer? I can, yeah. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of life. Thank you for the lives that you've given all of us. Thank you for the lives of all the listeners and the viewers of this podcast. Thank you for all of the ways that you give us greater access to your life. And we pray today, Lord, that through this conversation, we could just um, just uh, marvel in how uniquely and specifically you make every person and how uniquely and specifically you call every person. So we pray today, Lord, that we would have a a conversion back to your heart to see the goodness in ourselves and the goodness of others. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So if you're joining us for the first time, this is a show that celebrates the missional work of the church, that we are a church that is mobilized for mission. And we believe that an encounter with Jesus Christ isn't just meant for ourselves, but Mm -hmm. that encounter encounter is meant to be shared with others. So it's beyond Damascus. St. Paul, he had that incredible life-changing encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, Mm -hmm. and it propelled him to a life of mission. And one of the coolest ways, um, or a very defining way that you can see the church mobilized for mission these last 50 years has been since 1973, the church has been on the front lines really praying and advocating for the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And Mm -hmm. after 50 years of prayer and intercession, of advocacy, um, the Lord has brought a victory Mm -hmm. in that area. And so I guess kind of what, like when you heard uh, on Friday the announcement come out, what were the emotions you guys were filled with? Yeah. I mean, I, the first thing that I was filled with was excitement. I was excited that our country was going in a direction I didn't think I would see it go in my lifetime. Um, I think in addition to that, um, because of the the missionary heart that I think I have, uh, one of my first, uh, I don't know if it's an emotion, one of my first feelings was, okay, how do we communicate this effectively to the most amount of people as possible yeah. so that we can let people know kind of what's happening, what this means, why we believe it to be good. But I would say excitement that then kind of led to that. And I think that's that's kind of still where I'm at. Like, how do I, how do I articulate well the stance of the church so we can instantiate that in the states that now the decision's been brought back to? So that's, I would say that's probably my my initial response. I love it. Brad, the communicator, asking how do we communicate? <laughs> how this? do we get Let's this get... to people in a clear way? Speaking like a true evangelist. I, I think I think I'm a little shell shocked still. Just I mean, if if you're new to human existence, you you may. You may be surprised to learn that like- Hello, welcome to the world. <laughs> the last, I don't know, the last two or three years have been like beat down after beat down after beat down of um, sort of difficult things happening. Yeah, uh, we don't have too many things to celebrate <laughs> in the culture. And um, yeah, I, I think that uh, my, my, my initial reaction to this was like, 
seriously. Uh, mm. You know, in the midst of pandemic after pandemic wave after pandemic wave after after economic meltdown after economic mm. meltdown after useless, senseless war after mm-hmm. senseless war, like we're, we're now in a place where is it is it reality that Christianity <laughs> yeah. is seeing a cultural victory? Yeah. Like yeah. how can how can that be real? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm I'm in some sense I'm waiting for the other like shoe to drop, uh, and and just questioning how how is it that we steward this thing? Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a, my it, the um I was just I was so happy um because I just felt like um it was like the Lord is alive, right? And like, we get so excited over um, miracles that happen in someone's body. And we just witnessed a miracle happen in a nation where like, like I I love when I see government. Yeah. Yeah. Like I love like when I see a body get healed. Right. Uh We just saw a significant mirror. Like, uh, like you said, Mm -hmm. we never Mm -hmm. thought we'd see it in our lifetime. We didn't like everything. And culturally we were losing battle after battle. And now there's a cultural victory Mm -hmm. and it's just pure miracle. And Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. reason I like this was because this, this, if you will, this particular battle is one that has been being waged, um, not through, uh, it, it has been being waged primarily through intercession, right? That mm-hmm. the primary mm-hmm. way that the church decided that they were going to enter into this cultural battle was mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. frontline intercession, yeah. whether mm-hmm. that was at abortion clinics, whether that is um, at parishes. But, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I mean, just the devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe and her mm-hmm. patronage over mm-hmm. the pro-life movement, the devotion to praying the rosary to stop abortion, like that the, the, the church has has mm-hmm. oriented herself mm-hmm. to Mary to be the cause of victory. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really exciting to see such a tangible fruit mm-hmm. and and a victory that we all kind of witnessed throughout our life uh, that took 50 years, right? This was a very, that it just shows <laughs> that the Lord does answer all of our prayers, and yet it, it does. He doesn't answer them in a cheap way. That it, mm-hmm. it, it it's sometimes the number forty is that number of preparation, right? The number fifty is that number of completion. And while this isn't complete and no, anything sure. but complete, the Lord is is showing us mm-hmm. His presence. Well, in in a way that that keeps you scratching your head. I, yeah. I mean, I, mm-hmm. uh, I I'm at when uh, when Donald Trump was was running for presidency, there were there were many uh, prophetic. Um, I don't know, prophetic stories, prophetic words that Christians were sharing about the fact that like this man is going to be the one who the Lord ordains to change the world. Mm. And I roll my eyes at at most things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But man, you know, the Lord in his mercy delivered uh, the final act of this story Mm -hmm. through the work of a president who has been the most divisive figure mm-hmm. potentially in mm-hmm. U.S. political mm-hmm. history. Well, and who has a choppy past, right? Yeah. And they, but mm-hmm. it's funny because we're like, oh, he has a choppy past. The Lord can't use him now. Mm-hmm. But it's like, well, look at every biography yeah. in the Bible, yeah. right? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, and a choppy present. Like, welcome yeah. to, like, <laughs> our lives, you know? Like, I think that, <laughs> like, every Saint time— Peter, <clears throat> maybe? Yes, yeah, like, every time we get into those conversations, it's like, yeah— but what were the best actions that person took and what did they result in? You well, know, like there's actually I guess, a way to look. And, and at what I mean like, to say is not, not uh, whether you love him or hate him. Right. Um, it's just so curious. Yeah, it is. That the Lord used uh, used his time and authority to actually set the stage for, for, Correct. for this and decision. I, and I actually think it should give hope, right? Yeah. Like I think that's why I'm saying it the way I'm saying it is like yeah. for all of us, 
Like, thank the Lord that he does any kind of miraculous thing through me ever, you know? Like, and I, and I also, I, I think to the point of, uh, oh man, like the, just like the victory and the, and the, the idea of the prayers that have gone into this prayers are active, right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I think that we live in a social media environment where there's comments coming in all of the time and you read these comments and it's like hugs, kisses, love, and good vibes are all passive. Like all of that is just a way of saying, I support you passively from over here. When, when I say like praying for this, if I actually partake in that act, yeah. it's active. It's active. Like it's actually moving the ball forward. Yeah. So for anyone that's interceded for things over time and you felt like nothing's happening. It's like, no, things are happening. That's always an actionable move. Like the Lord is a, about something mm -hmm. when we pray and when we contend. So anyway, Amen. I don't know. There's something about that that just inspires me. Like, yes, intercessions were heard. Prayers were like received and acted upon by the Lord in his providence and in his mercy. And that's awesome. Brad, I'm a little hurt right now. Yeah. Tell me why. <laughs> I mean, I, you and I text each other all the time. I've never gotten a text when I'm having a bad day of you saying, I'm sending good vibes, hugs, and kisses your way. <laughs> because like, I'm never passive. Oh, I'm always active oh, in my life. I get it. Oh, but, uh, okay, no, I, I do. It. I think that <laughs> we need to know that, though, because it does. It gets in our vernacular, and we start yeah. using it kind of synonymously. Yeah. Like, prayers are synonymous with me yeah. sending hugs via a virtual comment. No, they're not. That's they're actually good. That's not, actually really good. They're not good. synonymous yeah. at all. They're yeah. not. None of that. Like, again, you add whatever words you, you want. You can't send good vibes no, to someone. No, and it can be compassionate. It can be. I'm not saying. I would argue. I'm not saying. Saying that you can't like in those words mean like I feel for yeah. your situation. You absolutely can. Yeah. But you are not actively partaking in the um soothing or assistance of that situation. Prayer, but prayer, prayer is. is effective and powerful. Correct. And it works. And we and, have to know that. And we have to know that. And then when when it works, we need to make sure we give thanksgiving. And celebrate, as well. please. Yes, please celebrate. Yes, yeah. Yes. yeah. So if you haven't entered into celebration or thanksgiving. Um, make sure you just turn to the Lord. If this is something you've been interceding for, make sure you turn to the Lord and thank him mm -hmm. and give him praise and because he's a good God. I think it's funny because um, I don't know, there's a little bit of me that's like hesitant to celebrate what God has done yeah. because of the question of communication, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. so there's this public discourse happening now. Actually, I remember on Friday uh, when, when the um, uh, statement came out that, uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Someone said, okay, so my question is, when's the civil war starting, right? And mm -hmm. I don't think a civil war is going to start, but the um, but there's this public discourse happening now. And mm -hmm. you're saying, Brad, like, I'm I'm focused, okay, how do we communicate this? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how do we communicate it at this point? Yeah. Like, what are, what are you seeing, guys, that, like, how can we effectively enter into this discourse at this point in human history? Yeah, I'll I'll say one thing and then let you guys jump off of it because I don't know if I have kind of like f finalized thoughts on it. But I do think one thing I think is really important is for us to understand that even as Christians, we can celebrate solutions to one problem without having to throw all of the other problems into it. So like it, it's understood in the Christian faith, and I think you can understand it just in reason, but abortion's wrong. Okay. Abortion's wrong. So anything that lessens the number of abortions being had is worth celebrating. Now, what happens though, is in, I think, um, rightfully so in the Christian person, you have a heart of compassion. You have a heart that sees a variety of things that are going wrong. So the hesitancy towards celebrating that comes from, yeah, but the way that we 
tend to single mothers and widows and orphans isn't great. Okay, that, that doesn't negate the truth that abortion is wrong and we should celebrate when it's lessened. Now, I wanna have that other dialogue, absolutely. But trying to like, you know, keep the conversation on the win here is that less abortions will happen. That, that's just, that's true. So that is worth celebrating. Now, the ramifications of that might play into a bunch of things, and we should have conversations on that. But I think where I'm at right now is trying to keep the focus of the conversation the focus of the conversation. Because it's very easy to talk for an hour about absolutely nothing when you just move the marker to whatever your heart's feeling in a moment. It's like, no, abortion is wrong. Anything that lessens the number of them is worth celebrating. Okay. It might cause some other things to happen that we need to take care of, but let's take care of those in sequential order, I think. I, I think we'll, we'll have a lot of good feedback on the show today. I think you'll see a lot of good uh, resources and, mm-hmm. and feedback that you can pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 want to, uh, I want to remind us as, as a community and as our listeners and even at this table that it's, it's, it's never a bad idea when faced with a difficult question like this to say, I don't know, and therefore I'm gonna go figure it out. That's good. right. Mm-hmm. When, when, when faced with this question, I think it's really important that I go to be well-formed. Mm-hmm. So if I don't know how to communicate this, mm-hmm. that you tune into a podcast like Beyond Damascus or go, yeah. you know, gosh, go, go tune into the Priest for Life right now mm-hmm. or, or uh, Bishop Barron or, or, mm-hmm. or countless other people who are, who are diving into this and who are, who are speaking about this very thing because this is too important for me to try to figure it out on my own. It is. Yeah. It is. Well, I'm I'm really hopeful and excited just for the dialogue that will come, right? So we actually uh, we get, we get a start. Yeah, so Roe v. Wade overturns one decision, but now there's a bunch of other decisions that have mm-hmm. to be made yeah. or, and what this will do is it'll create dialogue around women's rights and babies' rights and how do we care for mm-hmm. uh, uh, unmarried women? How do we mm-hmm. care for uh, an unborn child? And so mm-hmm. this is the moment of great dialogue, yes. right? And one of the most effective ways I, uh, I've i always seen dialogue happen too is through testimony, right? That when we, when we effectively listen to people's stories and um, we discover more compassion and greater truth, right? That right. when and ever in every story, right, is different. That whether you're the single mom that um is struggling, like we need to hear those testimonies. Whether you're the person who got uh, pregnant through sexual abuse, we need to hear that testimony, mm-hmm. right? Right? Like hearing these testimonies will help us ask questions. Lord, how do we respond? You're listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and right here in Central Ohio on St. Gabriel Radio. You can listen to the whole version of today's show at www.ewtn.com slash radio slash podcasts or check us out on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. We'll be right back with this episode after a short break. From Rome to your home, EWTN's Vatican Bureau lets you watch all of the important events from Rome, even if you don't have a TV. Using the latest technology, we've made it possible to watch the latest news from the Holy See, all delivered directly to your home. It's easy. Watch live on EWTN YouTube and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. 
The most original Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. What have you always wanted to know about the Vatican? Well, I'm your Vatican Insider, and I answer that question when I bring you the news about the Pope, Vatican City, and I share insights and stories from a broad spectrum of church ministries. Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Tonight, 9 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and right here in Central Ohio on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. All right, well, we're going to um, actually welcome in a guest who we're just going to sh- hear her story and how uh, she was faced with the decision and the decision she made and how those kinds of decisions lead to life and life with Christ. So let's welcome in our Friend and missionary, Miss Nurse Tiffany. Yes, <laughs> come on in. Hello. So I call you Nurse Tiffany because that is what you are affectionately termed here at Damascus <laughs> yeah. and Catholic Youth Summer Camp. So you've been um, a nurse with us here at camp, and um, I just think that is probably the most difficult job on campus. <laughs> Imagine it has 500 its days. <laughs> campers, all with their bumps and bruises and scratches and uh, heat rashes, everything. You, What is that like being the, the your, what is your title here, actually? Uh, this summer, it's medical director. Medical director. Yeah. So you not only yeah. care for all the campers, but you also care for those who care for the campers. Yes. I do. I do. What's um, that like? It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. I um, I love it so much. Um, there are days where it's hard, but mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much joy that comes out of it and caring for like our people, our staff members and our campers and like their most vulnerable moments when they like are really just like, I just want to be at camp. I just want to be with Jesus. Like, and for us to be able to like love them and pray with them and then get them mm-hmm. back out there. Like it's the most rewarding job I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> That's it truly is. Yeah. Tiffany, did you ever think you would be a medical missionary uh, <laughs> when you were younger? No. It was just like, I'm going to grow up to be a medical missionary. Was that your game plan? Yeah, no, no. No, not mine. Not mine. It wasn't, it wasn't no, on a list of things to do. It was not on do. my list. What, no. what happened last year? So you came as a volunteer nurse, right? Yes. What? And then you were just like, I want more. Like, I want to stay longer. I want to get more involved. And then, of course, whenever you're around us and you ask for more, you, you, you end up uh, signed up for the missionary program and a director of the medical staff. But like, what was yeah. the, your initial experience with the uh, Damascus missionary community last year? Yeah. So coming in, I had no idea what to expect. Um, I had actually had stepped away from the bedside. I was in more of like an administrative role in my nursing job that I walked away from. And so in that, I really felt coming in, like I didn't feel equipped to do it. Like mm-hmm. I, I came in going, I have no idea what I'm doing. We'll see how this goes. (laughs) Um, Hopefully God is with me and I know he will be. And so I jumped in um, just kind of nervous and and not really sure what I was getting myself into. And, um, you know, day one, some challenges were thrown at me and I handled it like it it was just so it was so comforting. It was so like I felt comfortable. I felt equipped. I felt like I knew exactly what I was doing. And it was like in that moment that I was like, whoa, like, (laughs) okay, Jesus, actually, not only did he call me to this, but like. He is seeing me through it, and he actually, like, it was just the awakening that, like, he actually wants me to be here, and I have actually never felt more equipped as a nurse than I did when I stepped foot on this campus and caring for the the, the campers, for the, the missionaries. Um, so I think, like, and I, I recognize, like, 
what a great need there was for it as well. That like, not just the campers, like I came in thinking I was going to care for the campers. And then I got here and realized, oh, I'm actually caring for the missionaries too. And that was just a really beautiful like awareness that like, okay, my presence here is like really needed. And like the Lord didn't just call me here for like one thing. He called me here for like multiple things. And so as I stepped into it and just found so much love in everything that I was doing and, and the ability to pour out love, um, I think that was probably like what drew me in. And I was like, okay, this is home. Like I'm supposed to be here. I I literally have so much love that I want to pour into people and bring healing to people. And this is where I can not only be filled myself, but I can also fill others and provide for them in a really unique and fun way. Um, because I have never had so much fun in nursing. Like <laughs> I literally, like I really, I can honestly say that. I mean, we just, we work hard and we, um, we love hard and we take care of things. Every day is different. We never know what we're going to see, what we're going to expect. And I think that was like one of the things that I was just like, I love this place. And also as a Baptist convert coming into this campus, I was like, these are my people. <laughs> like they raised their hands and they worship uh -huh. God. Like, thank you, Jesus, for like bringing me to my people and like finding a place where like I can live out my Catholic identity in the way that my body and soul want to. I love that. That's so good. That's like, it's amazing. The, the, that one popular phrase is the Lord doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called, right? Yeah. That's like, yeah. yeah. So as a Catholic, like missionary now, like that, that was your game plan growing up and in high school, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, actually, um, anti-Catholic, um, yeah. was actually the case. Um, so definitely not my plan. Um, as a little girl, um, little, little, I was raised Baptist actually. So it was church on Sunday, church on Wednesday, church all day on Sunday, because you did church service, and then you did Bible school, and you were just community all day in the Baptist church. And then Wednesday, you went to the Iwana program, and you studied scripture, and that was life. And so that was as a little girl. And I remember um, when I was like I don't know, six or seven years old, I was at church, and in the Baptist church, you ba get baptized like by your own free will and your choice. And so basically, at the end of every service, the pastor is like, anyone that wants to give their life to Jesus in baptism, come on up. So I remember looking over at my dad saying, excuse me, daddy. And I just got out of the pew and I walked up and um, I went and got baptized. Um, and I, I literally, I can remember what I was wearing. Like it was just a, a really like big day in my life. Um, so that was, um, I don't know. I think that the Lord knew that I needed the graces of that baptism as a little girl. And when I had the heart for it, I always had a heart for Jesus as a little girl. I would pray for people in the grocery store. Like, I just really, really loved Jesus. Um, but then as I grew and as my parents' relationship shifted and changed and they moved out of the Baptist church, um, there was a lot of turmoil in my home after that. So um, around third grade and up, turmoil was really what wreaked havoc in my life um, to the point where I was calling the police on my parents regularly to break them up. Um, you know, just a really bad situation um, with a lot of hurt and a lot of um, hardship through that time. So throughout that time, I slowly, like, I kept trying to go to my Baptist church and kept trying to be ingrained in that and, and love the Lord. But as I got older, um, I'd say by the time I was 12, I was like, yeah, nope, this is all lies. Like, I can't believe, I can't get behind a God that I've been taught was a good God, yet is putting a little girl through the things that I was going through. Mm. So I was like, I'm out. Like, I don't believe in any of this. And at that point, um, my life really took a spiral. Um, I spiraled down. I had no guidance. So both of my parents, they were so, they loved me. And, and as I, as I tell this story, like I, I do want to speak the, the truth that they, they loved me, but they were just so in their own lives 
and their own stuff as they were going through this very messy divorce and not divorce and divorce and not divorce, um, that they just weren't able to parent the way that a parent should parent. So I didn't have a lot of guidance. Um, I had the opposite of that. Um, so by the time I was 12, I was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. You know, it was just a situation that was not great. And so that spiral just continued. Um, I went down a really bad path as I was like going into high school. Um, I had no like, I had no reason to um, have worth for myself, really. So in that, I made a lot of really, really bad decisions, a lot of decisions I'm not proud of. Um, I got into drugs, um, alcohol regularly. It was, I'm skipping school. Like, it was just really not a good situation. Um, so in that, I was just like so far from Christ. I mean, that was like the last thing. And if anyone would try and talk to me about that, it was like, I don't need any of that. Like, I'm fine. I got this, you know, I was living my best life and nobody was going to stop me kind of thing, you know? And so like moving through high school, um, continuing to make those poor decisions, um, I met my now husband. Um, we were 15 years old in gym class, and that's where we met. Gym um, class. Gym class. That's where it's at. Yep, gym class. <laughs> yep. So we met in gym class, and then um, what? What, uh, what impressed you about 15 year old? 15 <laughs> yeah, year old Andy. Yeah. So yeah. So it wasn't actually Strapping gym class that he impressed Andy. me. He actually. So we um, there was this park that me and all of our friends would illegally go to. We were not supposed to be there, and we would go and have bonfires there. So one one night. We were at the bonfire, and there was another couple across the fire from the bonfire, and they were, like, playing with each other's hair, and Andy was across the bonfire, and he was like, oh, that's so cute. I wish I had somebody to play with my hair. And I was like, oh, he's cute. <laughs> and so that was what started it all. Oh, man, yeah. we need, we need great, yeah. more stories. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the 15-year-old like, yes. first pickup lines, right? <laughs> yeah. That was, that was yeah. a whole show, Dan. Yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> So I was actually dating another boy at Wait, the wait, time. but you didn't share. What was your response to that? Oh, my, yeah, so I, I literally was just like, oh, that was cute. And oh, that was okay. it. You were like, but I'll he was really good hair. friends with one of my best friends. Okay. So that was kind of like the tie-in because I had talked to her about it. And she's like, oh, she's like, I'm going to I'm gonna hook you guys up, yeah. you know. And so I was actually dating another boy at the time who was coming on too strong, and I was not really having it. Hmm. And so um, – I was on the phone with him and Andy called me on the phone because back then it wasn't a big sign and a dance about homecoming and mm -hmm. stuff. So he called me. I clicked over the line and I said, hey, and it was Andy. He's like, hi. He's like, will you go to homecoming with me? They're like, just super basic. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I will. And he's like, okay, cool. Talk to you later. Bye. Yeah. I click over and the other boy's like, who was that? And I was like, that was Andy. He was like, well, what did you want? And I was like, he asked me to homecoming. He was, what'd you say? And I was like, yes. And he was like, oh. I was going to ask you to homecoming. And I was like, oh, sorry. And then that was all she Class, wrote. That's all she wrote. Yeah, that was all she wrote. Where, where are they done. now? That's, yeah. A, yeah. that's an effective way to break yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just, yeah. On the landline. On the landline. It was a landline. Yeah. 100%. I did not have a cell phone. I think I had a pager at the time, yeah. oh, you know? nice, yeah. nice. We need yeah. to we <laughs> yeah. bring back the pager. Yeah, yeah I had a pager. So. Well, like, kind of what was your, where was your heart during high school? And what was, like, was your, were you completely? completely cut God off? Had you, were you totally distant? Were you, what, where were you with that? Yeah, I had completely got cut God off. Mm -hmm. I, there was absolutely, I wouldn't pray. I wouldn't nothing. Um, absolutely not. Um, so Did you believe in him still or was it kind of like no way? I don't think I, I, I don't think I ever really, I was probably more agnostic. I, I think if it depend on the day yeah. when you asked me at that time, yeah. you know, some days it was like, no, absolutely not. This isn't, possible and then other days it was like mm, okay maybe there's something yeah. but 
I'm not buying it. If it yeah. is, I don't like who them like whatever it is i don't agree with them because yeah. why is the all mm-hmm. like all the bad that's going mm-hmm. yeah. on in the in my life you know so yeah i never really i didn't buy into it and i i had family on my dad's side actually that were all catholic and my mom's side was baptist but fallen away um and my mom was actually an alcoholic as well so when i would talk to her about any of those kinds of things it was just yeah. didn't go well so and she was super anti-catholic so when my i had i had two aunts that just really loved me really well through all of that period, though. At one point, one of my aunts said, if you were my child, you would be in juvenile hall. And I was like, well, I'm glad I'm not. And, you know, <laughs> um, but they they always would take me in and, and love me as much as they could. So I had, like, a picture of what it looked like mm-hmm. to have religion in your life. But it, there were too many rules for me for that. So I was not really interested yeah. in it, you know. It's amazing that <clears throat> that light switched off at 12 right mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. and i just think about our campers right and we got like 250 middle schoolers up there right now when you look at these middle schoolers from the outside you're just like oh my gosh like they're just goofballs right they're at, they're in mm-hmm. at meal time and they're all dirty <laughs> and they're spilling their drink like yeah. they're just kind of not well put together right mm-hmm. and they're just silly little kids but at the same time major things are happening in their hearts at that time period. Like 12 years old is when uh, I had my first major encounter with Jesus Christ on, on a mission trip. And it's just like, I've been thinking about my own kids. Like, oh my gosh, like when I was in like middle school was critical for me and my formation with Christ. It was absolutely critical. And they're at those critical moments. And I think sometimes we forget that there's there's a giant thing happening inside a person, mm-hmm. even though the outside, they're still just a 12-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I fell in love with Damascus too and the mission here was because that was when a pivotal time in my life when I stepped away. And I didn't if I would have had something that was like pulling me in or mm. teaching me or showing me like that I'm a daughter of God, like I think that that could have been a life-changing pace for me. So like for me like seeing these campers come in like I just I want so much for these souls to be changed and those seeds to be planted so that they don't have to take the long road like I have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. They, the, that they say that the average age when a young person makes a decision to leave their Catholic faith is age 13. And it's just like, <clears throat> blows your mind because it's mm-hmm. like, okay, what's going on in their, their own heart and their mind that that decision is being made. And we're coming out like you, like we're coming out of a pandemic. We're coming out of a, a time. I mean, we're in a time of economic uh, turmoil. There's, there's uh, the, the, the things that our young people are dealing with, like you were dealing with this, this divorce at home, right? Like how many of our young people are dealing with that at home right now? Or uh, it's it just like thing after thing, after thing, hitting them and hitting them and hitting them. Who do they turn to if mom and dad maybe aren't present to be turned like, and if not to Christ, then you 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 turn to other things. Mm-hmm. So you you were turning to to other things in high school. Uh, you you probably turned to Andy probably for emotional support in your life and turmoil. So what um what what it transpired? Yeah. So um so yeah, we met over the bonfire, went to homecoming, um, and then um, really just. He also had stuff, and so, like, it just worked really well. Um, he actually was probably, the, like, the first step of me moving in the right direction, though. Um, so I um, was able to, like, I kind of hit a rock bottom, if you will, where I was like, okay, I actually can't keep doing what I'm doing anymore. Like, this is actually getting dangerous. And so um, 
in relationship with him, I was able to have that emotional support and have somebody to like talk to about stuff. And so that kind of changed things a lot for me. And so we really just were all in, um, you know, so um, we had been dating for about a year and then we were, so I was two months into my senior year of high school and we found out we were pregnant. Um, that day, I'll never forget it. I, um, I had actually taken a home pregnancy test that said it was negative and I had been at a party over the weekend and I took one sip of a beer and I almost threw up and I looked at my friend and I was like, here, I can't drink this because I knew in that moment, like I was like, I, I have to be pregnant. And so, um, I had gone to the doctor to confirm that. And, um, I remember getting out of school, rushing home to go check the messages on the landline so that I intercepted the message before my mom would. And it was a message from the doctor, like giving, calling about my results. So I called the doctor and I'll, I'll just, I'll never forget that conversation. Um, you know, she, the nurse on the other end of the line was like, um, yeah, so you're, you're pregnant. Um, and I just immediate tears, you know, um, and so she says to me, um, you can come in and we can talk about your options. And my response to her was, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to find another doctor because my option is I'm going to be a mom. And I hung up the phone. Um, and I just sobbed. <laughs> I cried the rest of the day. Um, and just was like my whole world just derailed because, you know, I was I was completely I was invincible. And then suddenly I wasn't. And I was like, OK, well, like this isn't just me anymore. And as a as a kid, like I was always a babysitter. I always loved kids. Um, and I think young I like life was so important. And like, like I was just always instilled um, to choose life um, through, throughout. And I, I think just in my heart was always like motherly from a young age. So when I got pregnant, it was like, okay, the only thing that makes sense right now is I'm going to be a mom, but that's terrifying. <laughs> I was like, I'm 18. I like, I'm a mess. Like what is happening? So, um, I, I, I just, I went to Andy. He was over at a friend's house. We, we went there and my friends were all comforting me and like, you're going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Um, and Andy and I, when I talked to him about it, his, his first response was like, whoa. And he said, um, so you're going to have an abortion, right? And who did I get mad? <laughs> I, I was like, I, I looked at him and I said, don't ever say that to me again. I said, what's actually happening is I'm going to become a mom and you have to make a choice whether you're going to be a dad or not because we're having a baby. So this is happening. Um, and I think that was like, a really like hard moment. We had a really like throughout the pregnancy was really hard because he's like navigating being a teenager and trying to like figure out the trajectory of his life. I'm a teenager who's like hugely impacted by it. Um, and so we had friends that loved us, but just had just such a worldly idea of life. Um, I had a friend come to me and say, Hey, I know exactly how you feel because I had an abortion. And I was like, you actually don't know how I feel. Um, and I'm really sorry that that happened to you. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and then was like mm -hmm. ministering to her in in that moment. Like, I'm, I'm so sorry that, that that is what happened to you. But that's actually very different from what I'm doing right now. Um, and so I had multiple people. Like, I had so many friends that had abortions. I just remember like walking through the halls of school. I had, there were two girls one time walking behind me. I'm like, she, she's pregnant. She's pregnant. 
and, and I stopped and I turned around and I said, I am pregnant. Do you want to talk about it? Oh, wow. I was yeah. very bold about that. Yeah. And I was like, listen, like, it is what it is. Like, I'm going to own it because yeah. I can't not. I'm literally going to be like nine months pregnant by the end of the school year. Like, you're going to know. So I finished out. Um, Were you wanting to drop out here. of school or did no. you not want to drop out? No, that was never a thought. No, it was, I'm going to get my degree. I mean, I graduated with a 1.5, yeah. but I did it. <laughs> they never really ask what, they you, know, you know, they just eat candy. You know, I made it through. Yeah. I got the degree. It was, it was like by the skin of my teeth. I actually had to take a, a math class over the summer. My poor math teacher, I'll never forget him, was terrified that I was going to go into labor. Because <laughs> I'm like nine You'd show months pregnant. you show up to class, you'd like, oh, no. In class. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he, poor guy, he was just terrified. He was so sweet. Um, but yeah, so, um, graduated high school, um, you know, watched all of my friends do, um, do their thing and go off to college and all of that. And I was preparing to be a mom. You're listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and right here in Central Ohio on St. Gabriel Radio. You can listen to the whole version of today's show at www.ewtn.com radio slash podcasts or check us out on youtube or your favorite podcast app we'll be right back with this episode after a short break he was a scholar a preacher a capuchin franciscan and a defender of christendom matthew bunsen and the doctors of the church saint lawrence of brindisi was one of the most respected preachers in the 17th century but he also helped raise an army against the ottoman turks when they invaded hungary in 1601 He led the troops to victory against the Turks, carrying only a crucifix. He was declared a doctor of the church in 1959. For more about the doctors of the church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. One of the more popular items on EWTNRC.com this month is the 100% brown wool scapular. Designed exclusively for EWTN, this brown scapular of Mont Carmel features Our Lady of Guadalupe on the front piece and St. Jude on the back. The St. Benedict medal on the brown cord gives added spiritual protection to those who wear it as Our Lady promised. To order, go to EWTNRC.com and search for item number 2218. Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and right here in Central Ohio on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. So how did you, because you were kind of living, like you didn't have support at home, you didn't have, uh, you were you were making risky decisions in life. How did, why was it that when you got that phone call from the doctors, why was it that you knew that you knew that you knew that you were going to have the baby? Like, Yeah, uh, Jesus. Yeah. I didn't know it then, but mm-hmm. I mean, it was 100% the Lord. Yeah. Without a doubt, and I think um, I think that as I as I stepped into the realization that there is a God, and I'll, and I'll get to how that happened, um, I recognized that actually the Lord had been carrying me through all of that. Like I actually should have been dead. Like some of the decisions that I was making, I should have been dead. Um, and I just know now, without a doubt, that actually the Lord was so present in my life. I just didn't see it and didn't know that he was there. Um, but he was 100% with me the whole the whole way. And I think that that's part of why I love him so much now. Like now that I can see it, and I, it like blows my mind actually because right. it's like, 
like, how did I miss this? Like, how did I not realize that you were with me, you know? And so, yeah, that was, it was pretty crazy. So I just, um, went through the pregnancy slowly, like, just like accepted all of the things. Um, I tried living with my mom, um, and I was with her, um, for about a week after we had Dylan and, um, that wasn't a good situation. So we ended up moving with Andy's mom and she was probably our biggest support. Um, because without her, we would have, it would just been a lot harder than it was. So we did have, um, a little bit of support there. Um, but I just, I won't, I'll never forget like when the day that we had him, which was actually this month, um, 21 years ago. Um, so, um, the day that he was placed in my arms, I'll just never forget. Um, and I always like, it just, um, I get emotional every time I think about it. Um, yeah, he was placed in my arms and I just, I saw him and I immediately, my first thought was like, there's a God, like there can't not be a God because my cell, my completely crazy, like the trajectory of my life, where I was going, like I didn't do this on my own. There's something bigger than me that gave me this perfect little miracle. Like, and I knew in that moment that like, things had to change. Like, and I'd already like through pregnancy, like as soon as I found out I was pregnant, like I stopped smoking, I stopped all of, like I became a mom that day. But then like when he was placed in my arms, I recognized that this was actually a gift from God that allowed me to move from that mess Mm -hmm. into something really beautiful. Um, So when he was placed in my arms and I was like, okay, there's something out there and I need to explore that now. Like I started praying that day. I was like, okay, I'm sorry that I like, totally abandoned you. I know you're there. I don't know who you are. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to find out. Um, so I just started exploring, um, different religions. Like I would go to the library and just read random books. Um, I actually had the privilege of actually staying home with Dylan as a baby while Andy worked two jobs and, um, he went to school. So he was doing that while I was just raising our son. And so um, through that time, I was just learning about the faith and trying to process this new knowledge that I had been wrong my whole life (laughs) and that there actually is something out there. And so through that, with having my dad's family that was Catholic, um, I kind of leaned on them. I had two cousins in the family that also had kids right around the same time as I did. They were married and doing all the right things. And so they were a great like resource for me as I'm mothering this new baby. And so watching them and it intrigued me, but even with that, I was like, yeah, but I'm not going to become Catholic. (laughs) I was like, that's not my thing. I don't agree with a lot of what that church teaches. I just am not interested in going that route. But as I studied and as I learned more, I kept being pulled back to it. Um, Mm -hmm. everything just pointed in that direction. And it got to the point where I was like, I actually can't deny the truth that this is the church that Jesus started. Mm -hmm. I was like, I I actually have to be in that church because this is the church. Like whether I like it or not, (laughs) I I'm going after truth right now because I had been so blind to the truth for my, for so long. Mm -hmm. And that awakening in that moment where God just placed it in my heart, like, okay, I'm here come after me, like, it just, it changed how I thought, and I was after the truth, like, just fire. So, 
Um, yeah. So as I'm learning and stuff, I got connected is this immediately after Dylan's born. Like this is like the same year he's born, right? Yeah. Within that same year, I'm starting to like, just do a lot of the research and all of those things. I was taking it slow. I had a lot of like my dad's side of the family that was like pushing Andy and I to get married, which was also making me go, okay, listen, I know like you're Catholic. I'm not like, leave me alone. I'm not just getting married because I had a baby. Like I'm going to get married because he's the person I'm supposed to marry. Like I wasn't buying into that and felt like, Okay, still, like, another reason why I was like, nope, not Catholic. <laughs> well, what was Andy's yeah. um, <clears throat> process? So initially mm. he's like, hey, I don't know if we should do this. Yeah. And then, but now you're living with him and his mom. And so, like, yeah. clearly he came on board, right? And he you're did. married to this boy. So, yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'll, I'll never forget this day either. Um, Dylan was about six months old, uh, maybe even three months. Might have been three months. Um, and Andy was holding him, and he was just crying. And I was like are you okay? And he's like, I asked you to have an abortion. And I was like, I know. And he said, I can't believe I asked you that. He's like, we wouldn't have him. And like, just, I mean, just the tears were just flowing because he was like, what I actually asked you was like to kill my child. Like, I didn't ask you to just like do something like really minor. Like, I actually asked you to do like something crazy and, and, and I can't believe I asked you of it. And, and almost was just like, thank you for like not doing that. And thank you for like giving me this gift. So that was like, that was a, a big point in our like relationship where I was like, okay, like it's going to be good. Like we've got this and we're on the right track. And like, like, so a shift in his heart for wow. sure occurred. Wow. Yeah. I mean, throughout the pregnancy it was tough because he was like still kind of trying to hang on to like the life that we were living a little bit. And like, mm -hmm. I obviously wasn't because I was like, okay, I actually can't do those things because I have a life that I'm caring for right now. And so, yeah, that was, it was like a rocky step to get there. But then like, he was all in. I mean, yeah, once, once he realized like, okay, I'm going to be a dad. He was like, okay, I'm all in. But it was like so hard, like just yeah. going through it. Like it wasn't an easy thing no way. like at yeah. all, but he stepped on board and yeah. And then like, I just, I'll never forget. Like, and every once in a while we'll talk about that now too. And I've always said like, Dylan was our guardian angel. Like the Lord really brought him to us to like pull us yeah. out of the life. Like I, I honestly like had I had an abortion and had I not gone that route, like I had I gone that route, like I don't know where I would be today. Like yeah. I, I really, I don't like, I would have continued going down a really bad path. So, um, I think that the Lord knew all of the little pieces that I needed to like be brought back to him. And the Lord didn't care if it was messy and he didn't care if it was not the way that you should do it. You know, um, the Lord just knew what I needed and he gave that to me. Um, and so it's really funny because for a really long time, like I didn't like to tell the ugly parts of my story. I was yeah, so ashamed yeah, of it. Sure. Um, and then the Lord is like, no, actually like you need to tell people the mm -hmm. ugly parts because mm -hmm. that's part of the beauty of who you are and what has led you to where you are. So yeah, I mean, Andy, he's, he's all in and, um, uh. that's so good. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for sharing your story. It's mm -hmm. so, so beautiful. What would you say to, I guess in this dialogue that's going to be or isn't uh, is happening in the in the world right now. What would you say for kind of what's your thought process on the question of women's rights and the the freedom to choose and and how how does the church respond? Uh yeah, so love is what the church's response should be. Mm -hmm. Um 
and for me, it's such a victory um, to have this overturning, but I also have such a, a compassion for the folks that don't feel like it's a victory and feel like, um, you know, I, I my hope is that there's a lot of conversion in their heart, but I just think that it's really important to like, for women to know, like, it's actually not a burden. Like, I think society um, makes you feel like it is a burden, that this is a burden and that your life is over. But like, the reality is that actually this is a gift, but you just have to open the lens to see that gift. And so I think that the church just really needs to love these women and give the resources that they need to like, to see that and recognize. I think that people don't realize like a lot of what I hear is like, well, there aren't resources out there. Actually, there are. Like I had a lot of resources that we tapped into when I was 18 years old and pregnant. Like a lot of resources that, um, you know, pregnancy decision health centers to name one that I knew. It's like there were so many resources out there. There was government assistance. Like I tapped into all of that. And I think that like that in that initial like fear, like it's hard to see that actually there already are things that exist. So I think bringing light to what resources are available to women and loving them through this and, and taking out the element of like shame that they feel. Um, you know, I think when you, you think of Christians, you think of people that um, if you have had sex before marriage, like you're bad. Innately, like that, there's this this misconception that that's like, you're just bad and we, you know, there's no coming back from that. But I think that there needs to be the recognition that actually like we have a lot of mercy in that because you're human and everyone has their weaknesses and their faults in those moments where we might not make the best decision for ourselves, but how can we love you through that and help you recognize like you actually are worthy, like you're so worthy still. And like, we want to love you. So I just, to me, like the answer truly is love. Um, and just like, and just that support that like, okay, so many people have actually walked through this and been very successful with it. And like, what you don't realize is like what you're weighing is like, you're actually weighing like a lot of hardship in your heart and your life for the rest of your life that you can't get rid of versus a gift that will bless you in so many ways. And if you are not in a space where that could bless you, it could bless someone else. Um, you know, I just think that the recognition of what a gift life is, is the most important thing that the church needs to like really solidify and show what resources are and show the support for these women. Yeah. I think um, one thing off of what Tiffany just said, I think, that's so clear to me in her story too, is the glory of God is man fully alive. So God is in a perpetual state of bringing us fully alive. And it's actually us being alive that shows the importance of life. That like, if we're going to be a Christian church that says how good life is, we should really enjoy life. Yeah, Like we should be alive. Like we should really love the life that's in front of us because like, it's almost oxymoronic to say, I despise my life, but good on all life. It's like, no, 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 no. Learn what the Lord's doing in your life. Come to love what he's doing in your life. Come to love the life he's given you. Live more lively. And I think a culture of life comes from people who are more alive. So I, I don't know from that. I just, I, I see that in what you're saying, because in order for us to love someone there, they have to see the life in our eyes. They have to see like how, how we're not saying this as an imposition on you, but we're saying this as an invitation to you. Like this is going to be the craziest adventure you've ever been on and it's worth every minute of it. So yeah. I think there's a, a liveliness that the church needs to, yeah. to stand in a culture of life. Yeah. And 
And I think you need to continue to stand in truth, though, that like it's not going to be. E- it doesn't mean no, easy. No, no, yeah. Like yeah. it doesn't mean easy, no. but it does mean rewarding and it does mean fruitful, yeah. but not necessarily. Easy. Yeah, yeah. Easy is a, easy. Easy is yeah. a cheap desire. Yeah, because yeah. any anything where you're truly alive is usually the most challenging. So I did the most challenging thing and conquered it. I'm really alive. I had this really deep thing I was wrestling with, and I came to an answer with it. I'm alive. Like the idea that I'm alive because today I have no responsibility. It's that's, that's cheap. That's yeah. cheap life. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I just, I see. So the show where encounter meets mission, like y- you will find your identity through mission. And I, th- I think that many people don't see parenthood as, as mission. And you find, you know, you find who you are when you give yourself away and there's almost by definition, no better way to give yourself away than by taking on a dependent, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that that I've got this constantly re- this constant reminder living in my house that I can't live my life for me for me, right? Yeah. So. When we were pregnant uh, for our first Amber, was just kept praying through Matthew twenty five, where Jesus says, "Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me," and it's clothing the naked, right? Uh, giving drink to the thirsty, giving drink, I mean, food to the hungry. It's like you take the Matthew 25, all of them, visiting the imprisoned, right? <laughs> Caring for the kid yeah. that's in timeout, right? But no, but the, uh, <laughs> but that person in Matthew 25 is a child. I mean, right? You, you, you just see uh, in a child everything that Jesus says that he is. And so, and it's so beautiful that when Dylan was placed in your hands. Like that's that was your encounter moment. Yeah, and like in ministry and in church, sometimes we can think like I mean, clearly we we we've set up so many encounter moments through the church programs, like walking mm-hmm. in per, like walking with purpose or Alpha or Damascus retreats, and those are all wonderful, incredible uh, encounter moments. But if we're going to actually reach the lost, sometimes encounter those encounter moments are going to yeah. come in unconventional ways, and we need to. Um, we need to be praying that the Lord would be pouring out graces on on all these women and, and on those 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 men that they would have those encounter. I mean, Andy's encounter moment that you described is just beautiful, right? Yeah. That like that's just like that's just grace falling down and touching him or touching you in that moment. Yeah. Well, I want to honor Tiffany's words there with easy too, because I think there's, I think that we have to do well in the church to to shape goals. Like the goal of your life is to give it away. And by definition, if we live in concupiscence, it's hard to give my life away. Like I want my life for me. So like any step towards giving it away is hard, which is why it's beautiful when the priest lays down and is ordained. It's why it's beautiful when a husband and wife get married. It's why it's beautiful when a child is conceived and born. It's because these are very tangible expressions of a life given away which by definition, because we're in a fallen state, is hard. Friends, thanks for listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. You can listen to the whole version of today's show by searching for Beyond Damascus on YouTube or your favorite podcast app.